This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast and live stream brought to you by our sponsor, Christian Hockey. If you want to check it out, check out the new hockey gear there, ChristianHockey.com. It's Matt Larkin here with my fellow senior writers, Ryan Kennedy, Ken Campbell, and some pretty big breaking news to kick off the podcast. Coming out of St. Louis, Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, major shoulder injury is going to cost him at least five months. We're going to talk about Tarasenko, but I know Ken wants to talk about well, my bigger, beard. The bigger yeah, breaking Ken, news is Ken Matt is staring Shane. at my face. <laughs> so let's just get, let's just get it yeah. out there first. Yeah, okay. The talk news, about Matt the beard. Shane. Yeah, what happened? What, like, this was a Halloween thing, I guess? Halloween, bro. Okay, so what were you going at? I was the T-1000 from Terminator 2. I finished fourth place in the costume contest. It went pretty well. But my wife hates my real face. <laughs> like, oh, really? like she's, yeah. she's like, nope, cover that back up, grow that beard as quick as you can. So this is temporary, okay? Just take a yeah, screen, by next week a screen grab full, of my child face. By next week, you'll mm. have full beardage going again. Yeah, this yeah. is what I looked like when I was like, you know, 13. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. <laughs> yeah. Where's your choker necklace? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I did wear shell necklaces until <laughs> I was 25. Uh, okay, so the beard is out there. Okay, this is yeah, my we, face. Temporarily. We've, dealt with, we've dealt with that elephant in the okay, room. Okay, so now let's talk about Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, and five months is the minimum absence. So that sounds like something that, depending on how the season plays out, could be a, a season-ending injury for, for Tarasenko. Um, so I guess the first thing we should discuss is just, you know, let's assume, let's assume that the Blues don't replace him directly with a trade yet, okay? We'll play out both scenarios. But let's say you're just going to help from within. You know, Jordan Kiru, just his kneecap is healed up. Maybe he's going to be called up soon as a direct replacement. Can the Blues survive as is? Or if they don't make improvements, is it going to be disastrous for them in the standings? I think they can survive. And, and I think... You know, I mean, you look at if any team can overcome adversity, it's the St. Louis Blues. Yep. So th- I think they'll be okay. I think they'll also be okay because they're pretty they're pretty good down the right side. You know, I mean, they've got Robert Thomas there now. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see how long that lasts. But we'll pick him up in fantasy leagues. Robert yeah, Thomas. exactly. And they've got they've got David Perron, who you know can can move up and down the lineup, can play anywhere on your in your top nine, really. You know, then you've got Alex Steen and Oscar Sundquist in the bottom in the bottom six. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think down the right side they're fine. I don't think they have much to worry about in the short term. But if I'm the St. Louis Blues, I'm really worried about Vladimir Tarasenko in the long term. You look at the two injuries. Like he's he's been injured. He's had that same injury, shoulder injured three times in the last eighteen months. Twice he's required surgery. And I'm telling you, if you go back and look at what led to those injuries, those surgeries, it was nothing. Like it was nothing in the playoffs in 2018. He basically checks Gabriel Landeskog along the boards and skates off, and you don't see him again. And like this one with with Sean Walker. Uh, he's just gets tangled up with him a little bit on a breakaway, yeah. and then he skates away and he can't move his arm. Like I'd be really worried long term if I were the St. Louis. Yeah, Blues. But it's not a this high is a shoulder. Injury. This is a shoulder that is fundamentally flawed. There's something really wrong with it, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe you go the reconstructive route at this point, and you just say, forget it. He's shut down until next year. He's not even going to play in the playoffs. We got to get this thing fixed and fixed properly and mm-hmm. and done right. Yeah, yeah, and luckily the things that he brings to the lineup the Blues are not starving for right now 
Brain Chen, point per game player. Mm-hmm. David mm-hmm. Perron, point per game player. Ryan O'Reilly, point per game player. Jaden Schwartz, close to a point per game player. Yeah. And I'm sure in Tarasenko's absence, he could probably bump that up. And, you know, I look at the Blues, and this is a team that when they're on top of their game, they're kind of boring in a, you know, in a very successful way. But they're very good defensively. They don't need to win games 7-3. to three. They win games 2-1. to one. Three to two, and they can do that without Tarasenko. Yeah, obviously you love to have a guy like that in the lineup that can that can snipe like he can. But I think the Blues uh, they'll be fine. I, I don't think it moves the needle too much one way or another. And you know, silver lining. Robert Thomas finally gets a chance to really show what he can do at the NHL level <laughs> on a big scoring line. It's it's kind of funny how he was the kind of youngster that because he could play a bottom six role, he got to the NHL early, but he's so talented and so smart that you don't want him to be there his whole career. Right Now we get to see a little sneak preview of what the Blues would be in a couple of years once some other guys leave. We get to see what Robert Thomas can do now in that role. Right, That's right. And it's weird. It's, it's a universal thing to me. Uh, that you notice across many different sports, and I'm obviously no doctor, but just it does seem to be a trend sometimes that heavily muscled players are often more likely to get hurt. And, and Tarasenko is the most muscular hockey player I've ever seen. Like in my career covering, and mm. you know, you're in dressing rooms, you see guys with their shirts off, you see their physique, and Tarasenko is huge, at like almost huger than he needs to be. Like include not just like the hockey player trunk, yeah. but he's yeah. got like just huge arms, and you wonder if. Does it does it restrict his movement when he's that big, and is that yeah. why he's getting hurt? I, I don't know. And look at the guys. Look at the guys theory. who are on the who are on the like the long, you know, Ironman lists. You know, Phil Kessel never yeah. works out. <laughs> Keith Yandel. I mean, he's not a great big guy. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys a lot like they're not. You're right. They're not known for that. Mm. Um, you know, and St. Louis. I mean, with their power play, they can just move, they just move Colton Pareko into that spot, right? So that's. You know, you're not you're not on much of a downgrade there either. Mm-hmm. So, so if we play along, let's say <laughs> let's say we decide that okay, Tarasenko is going to miss the entire season, and Doug Armstrong knows this, and he wants to keep this team contending, trying to repeat his Cup champions. And we know the Blues they have their their first I think four picks in, in the draft next year, uh, four or five picks. Um, so they could make a trade if they want. And you know, Tarasenko's on LTIR. So. Do you see a scenario in which that could happen? Do you believe Doug Armstrong would consider it? And anybody in mind for some trade targets? I got some names, but give me what you got. I would be loath to make a big deal right now because the Blues have just won a cup, so they're not desperate to win, even though everybody always wants to win. But they've got their ring. Now you're you're kind of a responsible steward of the club if you're Doug Armstrong. You want to be set up for success for the coming years as well. And your system's like decent, not fantastic. You've already traded away some top prospects like Dominic Bach, for example. You know, you traded away some picks in the past couple of years, but you still have some good guys. I feel you want to start building and, and keeping that pipeline going as opposed to subtracting at this point because that's when you get into the situation like Pittsburgh and to a lesser extent Washington where it's like we got nobody back there right you want to right. be able to fill in and you know as I said before Robert Thomas is kind of a bonus because he came to the club so early out of the draft but you want to make sure that you have some guys that are still coming and right now the blues are in a good situation but I don't want to see it go the the wrong direction. Yeah, I mean, the I mean, we just talked about how 
it's not going to be super dire straits because they have guys that can come up, right? So, I mean, why would you mess with that, right? And to me, the, the kind of guy, like if you, if you want to replace Vladimir Tarasenko with an equivalent of Vladimir Tarasenko, it's not just going to be picks. You're, yeah, you're going to yeah. have to trade Jordan Cairo or Robert Thomas yeah, or one Clint of your Austin, one of, yeah, yeah yeah one of your good young guys and and then you run into that situation where if you lose a guy in the future again now you're patching over with trades mm-hmm. because you got nothing else mm-hmm. and the other thing is with Alexi Pietrangelo's contract up you're going to need to rely a lot more on your entry level guys it's funny I was actually talking to it was Ken Holland about this and he was saying you know that's one of the defining things of the cap era is. There's a lot more pressure on your scouts. You need your entry-level salary guys to be a, a significant part of your team. Yeah, they got to be a mm-hmm. player. And, and so the Blues, you know, if they're if they're bringing in a guy that has term and money, it's going to be a lot harder to re-sign Petrangelo. But I still love trades. I love playing along. So I, I want to put one name out there. Okay? Yeah, I know which one you're You say. pick up the phone. <laughs> you call Bill Guerin. And you kick the tires on Jason Zucker. He's mm-hmm. he can play left or right wing. He's a left shot, I believe. And so is Tarasenko. He can play the off wing shooting from the left side. I think he plays St. Louis Blues hockey. He's a very responsible two way player. Yeah. I think he'd fit into the team culture very well. And as we've said on the podcast before, he seems to want out of there. <laughs> right? You know. Well, there there's a bit of a. I mean, he did want out of there. Yeah. I mean, now this is a new GM, so I think it's 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 a little different. But I mean. <sighs> I don't know if you're Minnesota. You've got some pretty good kids coming on way, coming already, you know. And and Zucker's a guy who can still play and play for a good number of years. He's 27. Yeah. Yeah. So he's you know I mean you're trading away one of the only really good offensive players you have. But it helps right? you tank. It's a good tank yeah, here. Yeah, Great good, draft class. Yeah. 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 The yeah. while they have to stop living in that mediocre zone. So yeah. I think I don't know. That's my theory. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty. Maybe. Good. It's maybe. Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, in Philadelphia right now, a couple interesting things are happening. Uh, the Flyers, you know, they've been rattling off some wins. Their offense has woken up. And you have Brian Elliott, the third star of the week. And part of the reason why Brian Elliott is the third star of the week is because he's getting to play because Carter Hart, the prodigy, uh, who's great as a rookie, his 20-year-old rookie, is struggling. 862 save percentage so far. Yep. Um, he's interesting because he's someone who is waiver-exempt. So you have to wonder... Is there a scenario you could picture in which he gets sent down to kind of clear his head, get his confidence back? Or would that be the opposite? To me, I I worry that if you're sending a guy down this early, it actually has the opposite effect. It's, oh my God, I I have something to lose here. Mm. I'm not playing well enough to be in the NHL. So I I would like to see them ride out the storm with Carter Hart. But what do you guys think? Well, I I think that's what they will do. But it it depends how bad the storm is and how long it lasts Mm -hmm. right you can't just keep going back to a guy if his confidence is shattered and he's letting in bad goals and lots of goals and letting him in at bad times i mean at some point you have to say look okay you know you're not ready for the nhl we thought you were we thought you were carry price but maybe you're not right now and there's nothing wrong with that like i i think you know i really think that the kid's got to develop. He's got to play. He can't sit and watch Brian Elliott play 50 games this year. That's not going to help him. That's not going to f- help the Philadelphia Flyers. That's not going to help anybody. Hmm. So I, there's just, to me, there's no shame in him going back mm-hmm. and having another year in the minors and get your game back and then and come on back. I don't. And, and I don't he's five it. years younger than Jordan Bennington. They were both rookies last year. Yeah. For perspective, five yeah. years younger mm-hmm. than Bennington. Yeah. I don't. I don't have a big problem if they decided to send him back. I, I really wouldn't. Yeah. I. I don't mind that, but what I would like to see is for Brian Elliott to continue getting the majority of starts in the short term so Hart can watch from the bench, 
just see what's going on. Just take a step back. You're still in the NHL. You're there with the team every day. You're practicing. You're with the goalie coaches. And you're just seeing what Brian Elliott is doing. You're seeing the speed of the game, maybe things that you can do better when you are in the crease. And you keep giving him starts, but you're not giving him too much. I think it's kind of funny. Like, this is what Brian Elliott does. It's like when you don't expect him to be the man, all of a sudden, like, he's Ken Dryden. Yeah, yeah always. Yeah. For, you know? for his whole like, career, yeah, that's yeah. the pattern. Yeah, like, I, maybe even that, I don't know if it was that year that he was in the All-Star game where they had to call him off a yeah, beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, because yeah. he just got hot and, you know, and then somebody got injured. 947 percent of that year. I believe it was 2011-12. Yeah, so they bring in Brian Elliott to help out Carter Hart. I think he is helping Carter Hart by being good. You know, the weight of the world is not on Carter Hart right now. The Flyers are not in the basement because Carter Hart's playing poor like you said Matt they're getting wins you know things are looking up it's okay that Brian Elliott is the one carrying the mail right now Carter Hart will get there if you can pick up good habits from Brian Elliott you know we know Carter Hart can win in the NHL he did it last year he's going through some ups and downs it's bound to happen with a young goaltender He's got a safety net in Brian Elliott. So you put him out. Maybe you're putting him against some of the weaker teams. Yeah, put him in in a position where he can succeed and and get his confidence. Yeah, Yeah. maybe Carter Hart is playing a game against a team that's on a Mm back-to-back. Yeah. Put him in a situation where maybe he's only facing 20 shots that night and Philly's playing really well in front of him to help him get his confidence back. I think the AHL is kind of what you do if this is still a problem in like three, four weeks. But for now, I, I like the idea of him getting games, sitting enough where he can see what's going on, and just still learning in the NHL. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm with you. And it's funny, the paradox with Brian Elliott is if you're a football fan, he's kind of the Nick Foles of the NHL where it's like, like you said, uh, Ryan, it's you know he's great when he's when he's pushing some young whippersnapper yeah. and not expected to do anything. But when it's time to rely on Brian Elliott to be the man, that's when he seems to struggle. So if you send Carter Hart down, yeah, it could dead. turn Brian Elliott into bad Brian Elliott. Yeah. So just having Carter Hart physically present <laughs> for for Brian Elliott to like look over and see on the bench is going to keep him not playing well. Kid. Yeah, that's scientific analysis right that's there. Right on. Uh, but I'd say just give Carter Hart till. Christmas, sure. All-Star break, sure. some kind of yeah. set juncture, and then you reevaluate. Yeah. I think it's still pretty early. Um, the LA Kings. So we've been pretty hard on this team. Uh, they've been about as bad as we expected them to be. Uh, in their last three games, they've been outscored 15-4. to four, And Coach Todd Mc- McClellan is calling the team out, and he says that some of the guys on the team probably can't play in this league. Uh, a lot to unpack there, but I guess let's just start, before we get to McClellan specifically, uh, are the Kings, are they just what we thought they were? Is this team hopeless, or do you see any way out of the hole they're in right now? No, I nah. don't. No, no. <laughs> yeah. no, because part of the problem is that that two of the guys that he's talking about that can't play in the NHL right now are their goalies. <laughs> that's 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 going to kill you every time. Key position. doesn't matter how good you are. If you can't rely on your goaltending and you, and you play like you can't rely on your goaltending, you're done. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and it's so unlike Todd McClellan to start throwing bombs at his players. Yeah, he's never done that before. Never done he's that never before. Yeah, he's seen the in the media before. I mean, this we knew this team was too slow. Yeah, we knew that this team was not built for this era of hockey. They've got some players coming up that I think will be successful. You look at Rasmus Kupari. There's a kid that's got great wheels. He's going to be a successful NHL player, but you got to wait. 
for him. You got to wait for Alex Turcotte, who has great wheels and can be that awesome center who learns from Andre Kopitar as Andre Kopitar enters the twilight of his career. But Alex Turcotte is just a freshman at the University of Wisconsin. So mm-hmm. you got to wait. This the, the Kings are what we expected them to be, which yep. is a team that is not made for 2019-2020. And that's okay because hopefully for them it lands them a lottery pick, maybe even first overall, where you get a game breaker like Alexis Lafreniere mm-hmm. or even Quentin Byfield. Byfield. Yeah. yeah. And, and the Kings, the roster construction reminds me a lot of the Detroit Red Wings right now, where you look at both teams and they're just pretty devoid of talent. They have a lot of ugly contracts. But in both cases, so our upcoming issue with Hockey News is Prospects Unlimited. We go through every team's full development system. And I was looking at the Kings and the Red Wings in particular and thinking, man, they've, they've started to a massive pretty good pile of prospects yeah, but yeah. but none of those guys are in the league yet right so they're right. really taking their time which means that there's no help coming right now I don't think and most of the guys you were listing off Ryan like none of those guys other than you know Tobias Bjornfot was getting a, sh- a shot with Drew Doughty early in the season right like none of those guys are going to be making an impact this year so this is mm. going to be a lottery team the weird thing is and I, I don't think this is a hindsight 2020 it's a foresight 2020 because I think we all said this uh, when, it, when the hiring first happened Tom McClellan to me, that was never a fit because he's sort of a veteran coach. And I know he's worked with young teams at times in his career, Edmonton, for example. But he's a guy that I think at this stage of his career, you associate with, with more of a win-now operation. Totally. And because win- he's won so much? Or what? <laughs> or like, like win-now in the regular season Because operation. he's won so much? Like, what's he done? Like, to me, this is where Todd McClellan has to, has to, has to look at himself mm. and say, what kind of coach do I want to be? You know? And okay, so I, I took this job. And if, if, if he took this job thinking that there was a chance he was going to win in the short term with this team, it, it, he was delusional. So, And I don't think he is. I think he's a pretty smart guy. So you go into that situation with your eyes open, knowing what you have and, and what you have to do, and you have to get the best out of this group. And I, I would dare say that after 12 games saying that there are guys on this roster who shouldn't be in the NHL, that's not going to get the best out of your group. Not a, right. Especially not so, a veteran group. Yeah, no, well. no. It's not like so, it's a so, young kid motivation so then, tactic. You know, so then now Todd McClellan's got to be part of the part of the solution. He's got to be part of the solution here. Yeah. You know? The, this was the wrong hire. We talked about it in the summer when it happened. You looked at the Kings and you looked at the Sabres. I feel like they were kind of in the same boat when they needed a new coach. The Sabres went with Ralph Kruger, a guy who's you know, a great communicator, a guy who thinks outside the box, has done a lot of different things in his career. Buffalo snapped him up, and it made a lot of sense. You had a young team in Buffalo that needed to put it to, they needed to put it together, and they got some other players that definitely helped as well. Things are going great for the Sabres right now. With the Kings, you get a coach coming from an Edmonton Oilers team that, outside of McDavid and Drysdale, were not fast enough to compete in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you put him on the Kings, a veteran team that's not fast enough for the NHL. Like, I, I don't know what they expected. Like, he's not going to be a builder in well, a way that, yeah. like, Dallas Aikens might be yeah. in Anaheim. That's that's not him. So where does he fit? Like, what was the goal in Los Angeles? I don't yeah. see what well, the, the problem. Well, the problem in L.A. is they, they were and still seem to be under this delusion mm. that they can compete. Yeah, it's, it's you know the that they can compete, the and and they can't, and yeah. they can't. But we're paying. They cannot. So they cannot, <laughs> and they they still think they can, but they can't. That's right. Because you can't with 
two or three elite players and then a bunch of guys who can't play. Yeah. You know, I mean, so they so they're under that they were under that illusion or delusion before they hired Todd McClellan, and that was part of the reason why they hired him. And like, I mean, we all know it's not it's not the case. Use your delusion. And, and you know, the pro- part of the problem too is that. I think they wanted someone like him to come in, and they're probably happy that he called these guys out, you know, because... He's like Daryl Sutter. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're probably happy about that. I do know one thing. A couple of weeks ago, I think in their second or third game of the season, they had 14,000, I think, fans. Hmm. It was their lowest attendance since, I think, 2007. So they're not only hurting in the standings, they're... They're, the you know they're becoming bad. It's a fan and base that needs a winner. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And yeah. That, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I don't think it means like fair weather fan. It's just there are certain fan bases that say no. You, you if you're not putting a winning product on the ice, we're not yeah. paying for this. And I think LA is one of those. Markets. Right. And and so 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 when you put it in that context, then maybe the 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 Todd McClellan hiring makes a little bit more sense from that perspective. Right. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But I, I wonder if. You know, and the weather is pretty fair in Los Angeles. Um, but I'm sorry. Dad joke. Yeah. Yeah, that's terrible. I know. <laughs> but I wonder if, you know, you look at certain teams where there is hope for the future, like Detroit, for example. I think that, you know, Red Wings fans can see, okay, we're not going to be good this year. That's fine. Let's just see, you know, how far these kids can go. A lot of them are in Grand Rapids doing good things. They'll probably get, you know, moved up at some yeah. point. For now, like, we can see what the kids can do. You can see, you know, the results there. With the Kings right now, I mean, they have some nice stories. You know, like, Sean Walker's a nice story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That he's in the NHL right now. You know, a kid out of Bowling Green. He's got six points. He's yeah. doing okay. Yeah. Playing well. Yeah, yeah. You know, earned mm-hmm. his stripes. He's got a couple of Bowling Green guys in management, which is kind of funny. You know, Rob Blake, obviously. Yeah. But you don't have a lot of those stories in L.A. right now. And, you know, the guys I mentioned, yeah, they're, they're kind of all over the world right now with... Kupari and Turcotte. Um, you know, Jared Anderson Dolan is in the minors. Samuel Fajimo is playing really well in Sweden right now, but it's not as tangible because they're yeah. not, you know, they're not all in one place. And you're, you're not going to see Turcotte or Fajimo this year in a Kings jersey. So it's, it's a tough spot for them to be in where if you're a fan of the Kings, you're basically showing up to see losing. You know, it's yeah. like if you just really like to watch Kopitar and Dowdy play, then that's great. And they don't lose in an exciting way either. Yeah. No. yeah. Well, they lose in an exciting way in that they give up a lot of goals. Yeah. So it's <laughs> so it's pretty interesting to watch. But yeah. But I mean, the problem was they they went for a quick fix where there was no quick fix. Yeah. You know that hiring was a quick fix where there is no quick fix mm-hmm. in that in that situation. Yeah, I think Agreed. that's right. Um, yeah. We're going to stick in Bef- the... Before oh, go, Stephen's got a comment here. Okay. We got oh, one yeah. question from uh, Cam Campbell, who asked, who is the guy in the middle hosting the show? <laughs> ah, yeah. Yeah, it's me. It's me, Robert Patrick. Terminator fans out there, all right? <laughs> uh, You're like Robert Pattison. That's who you look like. <laughs> he's Batman. <laughs> is he Batman? He's the new Batman. Is he the new Batman? Yeah. Okay, yeah. He's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah, he's going oh. to be good. But he is a mustache. People forget Heath Ledger was considered like a heartthrob at the time when he was cast as Joker. Pattinson's going to be a good Batman. Mm. You heard it here first on this hockey podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> a reminder before we get to the next topic, uh, we're going to be taking questions soon, so fire them over Twitter, and they can be about hockey, not just my face. Or Facebook <laughs> and YouTube. What's that? Facebook and YouTube too. Oh, yes. Facebook and YouTube as well. Yeah. Shaved Facebook. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Another dad joke. All right. Take a drink, everybody. <laughs> so we got a trade last Friday in the NHL. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks, I think... Clearly reacting to their right shot, shut down defenseman Josh Manson being on crutches. Uh, they go out and acquire Erica Branson. So it's an interesting trade because in theory it's like, okay, they lost their, their toughest, hardest to play against right shot defenseman. And they got a right shot defenseman who is tough and would have been hard to play against in 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I appreciate the effort from Bob Murray in theory on paper because, okay, you're trying to, to plug a hole. And it, to me, it says that the Ducks, they were 6-5 and five at the time of the trade. And I think they've been a little bit better than expected. And they realize that the Pacific can be had. That's the so thing. I think that's the, yeah. it sent an exciting yeah. message. I think, okay, yeah. we're trying. But the problem is, did they get the right guy? I worry they did not. Uh, and, and it's no disrespect to Erica Branson. The game has just changed. And he would have been just an absolutely coveted guy 15 years ago for his size and his style. But... He's not Josh Manson. Josh Manson right. is a strong, tough to play against defenseman, but he's tough to play against in a modern way. He's still mobile enough. Mm. He's not a turret out there. So, turret. It sounded like I said something else. Turret. Yeah. <laughs> that word, yeah. that word yeah. got a little. I mumbled that a little bit. Yeah. Turret. Okay. He's not a steaming pile yes, of turret. That's right. <laughs> It's live. You know it's live. Yeah. So while I collect myself, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this trade. Start with you, Kenny Boy. Well, I, I think it's telling that that Pittsburgh virtually got nothing back in this trade, except for the fact that they didn't have to retain any salary. Mm-hmm. So now Anaheim's got this guy at $4 million for the rest of this year and $4 million next year. Um, I'm like you. I, 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 I like the effort. I like the idea because they could make the playoffs in this division. They really could. They could finish in the top three in this division. They're in third place right now. They've got the goalie to do it. Yeah, and so, you know, you need that guy. You need some toughness in your lineup. You need the shutdown guy. I, I you know, I mean, I, I like I, I couldn't have put it any better than you did. I like I, I I like the the idea of it, and I think it sends a message to the rest of those guys in that room that you know, hey guys, we're in it here to to try and do something. You know. Mm-hmm. I'm going to respectfully disagree okay. on the panel here. Okay. Uh, Eric Branson, he's tough, but he's not tough to play against because a lot of goals get scored when he's on the ice. It's I, hard to score goals, though. It, yeah, it's, it's hard to score goals if you're the other... if. You're on Eric Branson's team because <laughs> yeah. the puck's always in your zone. Well, they don't score at the best of times, anyways. This, Fair team, this team only scores two goals a game. Yeah, uh, there's a reason Eric Branson keeps getting traded. Right. It's because every GM looks at him and says, "Oh, there's a big tough guy. We can use him." And then they get him, and they're like, "Oh no, he is a possession chasm." Yes. You know, I saw a stat on Twitter today that he was on the ice with Michael Delzato, and. Five on five, their Corsi four percentage was twenty three point three percent. Wow, that's bad, right? Like double, that's, double yeah. that, <laughs> really bad. Double that would be bad. Double that would be yeah, bad. Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's a great Woo. way of putting it. Yeah. Well, what are you doing putting those two guys together for? Why are you putting those? <laughs> well, I, I guess because the, the alternative is Corbin and Holzer. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess I mean. Yeah, and I mean th- those guys are playing top four minutes too. Yeah, they're playing top four minutes. I mean, yeah. it doesn't help that. You're, you're undisputed two best defensemen. Well, no, right. no, I'm sorry. Cam Fowler's 
He's in the mix there. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah. I mean, Hampus Lindholm. Two of your trio. Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson are both hurt, and that yeah. that is killer. It does. But here's the thing. I, I know you guys are saying Anaheim's in the mix right now after 11, 12 games, but realistically, if you're going to be like looking at this situation from above, you say, okay, the Pacific Division probably gets. Three teams True. this year in the playoffs. Vegas is one. Calgary's probably another, even though they're off to a so-so start. San Jose and Edmonton are ahead of us. You know, particularly Edmonton. And Vancouver's coming. Start. Vancouver's coming. Vancouver's yeah. in the mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are our chances, realistically, that this team that is young and is rebuilding will actually make the playoffs? But, I mean, when, when Lindholm and Manson do come back, that would push him into the, to the bottom pair, mm-hmm. whoever that is, right? Yeah. As a bottom pair guy playing decent matchups and favorable matchups and getting lots of offensive zone starts and all that other stuff, maybe it's not so bad. But why would you, you know? give him offensive starts, Ken? Yeah, that's What's yeah, going to yeah. happen? Yeah. Is he going to score? No. No. Yeah, that's the tough so, part. About but he's Cabranson. further away from he's his further, own net. Yes. But if he has <laughs> and to that's turn the good around, part. <laughs> if he has to turn around or skate backwards, then you've got a problem on your hands. I would much rather they have just like brought up Chris Weidman and said. Hey, we're going to take our lumps, but at least we have flexibility yeah. this summer. Yeah. And if they lose a bunch of games, that's fine. Get that lottery pick. That's where Anaheim is right now. They're starting to rebuild the organization after so many years of success. They're getting some good prospects. I understand that, again, you want success in that market, but you got to be realistic. Yeah, like, but you why? know, two years. Yeah, like, but you know, Ryan, like, I mean, you say get that lottery pick. Like, it's so easy to just say that. But it, this is a competitive league. You compete. You want to be in the playoffs. And if you have a chance to make the playoffs, and I'm not suggesting that the Anaheim Ducks are the St. Louis Blues, but right. now yes, it is. Yes, he is. But now it's get in, right? And, and yeah. like, I mean, you can say all you want. Yeah, let's tank the season and get that pick. Well, number one, you, you have no guarantee of getting that pick. And number two, these guys are competitors. They want to they be playing in the playoffs. Sure. They want to be playing meaningful games. It helps you develop as a franchise if you're playing meaningful games as March. It does. It, does. it, yeah. it helps you, I, but I a, think. But co- like coaches and players can't tank, as they've said to us a million times. In their, yeah, the yeah. Can't management quote. can't. It's yes. tanking is not my yeah. DNA, but the management has the ability to tank by taking the players off the right. chessboard. Yeah. Right, right. So I do think that if Bob Murray were to zoom out and see the situation, he might assess and say, you know what, this is not going to be our year. We're yeah. better off. I'm going to put player X and Y. I'm going to put Eric Branson on the board. Yeah, former it's player. help us lose. The only yeah. problem is Bob Murray's a former player. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. and he's got probably got that player's mentality yeah. too. Yeah. Right, the toughest yeah. part I feel I feel for a guy like Eric and Branson in today's NHL because the problem is you know like the, the offensive zone start thing. It's like you can't play a, that type of player in sheltered minutes because his game, the only thing that his game is tailored to is shutting down the opposition. But right. that doesn't work for that type of player anymore. So yeah. there isn't a role that really same with like a guy like Luke Shan, like that kind of defenseman. Right. is on his way right. out in the yeah. NHL. Right, yeah. so it's tough, yeah. tough situation. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna take some questions. Now, first one is from Rick Jackson, and Rick asks: Is Jonathan Taves about to take a back seat to Dylan Strom after a monster season, or do you think he'll produce similar numbers to last year? Uh, I think that Taves. So last year, everything clicked 
for Taves, and Indeed. it was it was this huge comeback season. And I do think it was partially sustainable. The reason being that the Blackhawks, their games have become track meets, and that's why Patrick Kane had the best numbers of his career as well. Mm-hmm. You're playing from behind a lot more. You're playing more of a wide open style, and because of Dylan Strome's presence, presence, I don't think it actually hurts Jonathan Taves. It helps Jonathan Taves because mm-hmm. it gives Taves a better chance to have good line mates. Sometimes Patrick Kane on any given night, and last year Taves and Kane played a lot more together than they have in years. So uh, I think that it, it's a positive situation for Jonathan Taves. I'm not saying he's going to be an 80-plus point guy again, but maybe he's going to hang out in the mid to high 60s range, which would, which would be better than what he'd been for a few seasons leading into last year. That would be my What's he got assessment. this year, though? It's not, he's not lighting it up I haven't seen off, off the top of my think. head. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but yeah. it's still it's it's early, right? So yeah. I, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if it's you know he's a 25-goal, 70-point guy this year. which would Jonathan be, Taves? Yeah, I, I could see that happening. I would. I'd be surprised. Yeah. I'd be surprised. Taze has two points in ten games. Yeah, I, I'd be very, very, but very still, surprised. It's a, it's a small sample size, right? It's very. Like, yeah. David Pasternak has twenty-three points in eleven games. Like, <laughs> it, sample sizes are crazy small. Five right of them now. in one game. Yeah, five yeah. in one game. So. But I think it's early. It, it, yeah, that's twenty-one more than Taves has. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think it, what you have in Chicago right now is a bit of a virtuous circle where you have the vets like Taves and Kane, and then you have the young guys like Stroman to bring it, and now Kirby Doc that are playing off of each other, and the young kids are learning from the mm. veterans. Yeah, Debrinket's not exactly like the world on fire either. No, but I mean he did yeah. pretty well last yeah, yeah. year, and yeah. you got to give them some time. Yep. And again, like we didn't expect Chicago to be, you know world beaters this season they are another team that's in transition but you look at Strom to bring it and now Kirby Doc the start that he's off to in the NHL just as an 18 year old and you say man there's some potential there and once the torch gets passed I think the Blackhawks are still going to be in very good shape and what you're seeing now is Taves and Kane can bring those kids along while still having success themselves and say, this is how we play in Chicago. This is how to be a pro. This is how you sleep. This is how you eat. And you get those great lessons to the kids, and then eventually they take over. And and in the meantime, you know, I mean, we saw what Kane did last year. It was incredible. I think it was one of his best seasons ever. Yeah. Taves had one of his best seasons ever. It's just great to have that combination of youth and veteran experience, especially when the veterans have cup rings. Yeah, and I, I'd, I'd want to see those guys in situations where it matters, you know? I mean, Dylan Strom's been good, but he hasn't played in an important game in his NHL career. Yeah, not yet. Not a one. Not a single mm-hmm. one. You know, Debrinket, same thing. They, have, they haven't played in any important games where they're really needed and where you really have to dig in mm-hmm. and where it really gets hard, you know? Yeah. I'd like to see what they're going to accomplish in those games. And if you want them to be those kinds of players, you're right. Having guys like Kane and Taves around and, you know, Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook, those are pretty good guys to have around. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and Taves is that kind of guy on steroids. Like, I, I remember... Uh, when not literally. Ch- yeah, not literally. <laughs> he, quite the opposite. He's got a tremendous health. And and uh, he was our guest editor of our magazine a couple years ago, so I went down there to work on the issue with, with Jonathan Taves. And it was crazy just talking to other members of the Blackhawks at the time, just how much he is the team dad and how much the, everybody... I think it was Brandon Saad that was telling me that, that like they follow him around, they do everything that he does. He sets such an example. Yeah. And 
and and Taves was telling me that you know it was a turning point in his career, early in his career, where he was finding himself at the end of seasons just getting sick all the time, like like is in bad immune system type of sick, and he sort of took a step back and redefined his entire diet regimen and changed the way he ate and just like rebuilt his body physically, and then he preaches that now, and the other players just they follow him into battle, right? So uh-huh. he's like he's not just the classic like stereotype of the veteran leader. He's like at the top of the chain, like with Patrice Bergeron, the guy yeah, that everyone yeah, wants to yeah, be yeah. like. But at some point, you got to produce for $10.5 million. You have to. Yep. It's all well and good to be the dad and the leader and the beacon and all that other stuff, but for $10.5 million, you got to produce. Well, that's the that's the, the the way the salary cap structure happens now, right? It's the problem, the curse of the Stanley Cup champion where you mm-hmm. pay guys for what they've done because you're, you're giving them a tip of the cap and then you end up signing that like Kopitar-style deal where you're paying guys for the downfall of their career, the decline years. It happens all the time. It always happens with teams that just won the Stanley Cup. It just happened with Braden Shen. That contract halfway through... Given how Look, tough, it looks good right now. Looks good right, right now, now for he's three or four really years. Good. Yeah, but yeah. in year six, seven of that yeah, year, yeah, yeah. it's probably not going to look good because Shen is power forward. Those guys don't age that well because they put a lot of pressure on their bodies just the way they play. But that's just the kind of like yeah. the unwritten rule. You yeah. you salute guys because they they went to war and won you a cup. You pay them for what they did. Right. And, that mm. seems and to when be the they way it is. and when those two guys took this took took their contracts, they they took hometown discounts. They went they they signed together. Yeah. If they had gone yeah. on the open market separately, they both would have got a lot more than. True. What they're getting. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, next question is from Andy Woods. And Ryan, this is going to be a question that's going to irk you because you always get, you hate the idea of like comparing players to other players. Right. What is Jack Hughes's potential ceiling? So you're going to want to answer that without naming a player. Sure. Although with Jack Hughes, it's, it's kind of easy to say he's like Patrick Kane as a natural center. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when I look at Jack Hughes, I think the ceiling is probably... In the 85 to 90 point range, maybe a bit more. It's it's really hard to hit over 100 points in the NHL these days. And I think with the cast that he has in New Jersey, again, you know, Taylor Hall is going to be a big X factor this season uh, and beyond because we know that he's going to be a free agent. We've talked about it several times on the podcast already. But, I mean, Jack Hughes, because of... The elusiveness, the quickness, the smarts, the hands. He has that high-end potential. I definitely think he's the number one center in the NHL. And I think that it's realistic to say he could be a consistent 85 to 90 point guy once he gets fully on track in the NHL. So let's say like three years from now, Mm -hmm. I think it would be fair to say he could have 85, 90 points in the NHL. Yeah, he shoots better than Patrick Kane. Shoots the puck way better than Patrick Kane. I don't know yeah. if you saw. I don't know if you saw the goal on yes. Friday night against the power play goal against uh, Arizona. Arizona, yeah, yeah, like that was dirty. It was. Kane's got a better dirty. backhand, maybe. Yeah, yeah, Kane's got a better backhand. Yeah, yeah for sure. Mm. Um, I think he would. It would be perfect for him to be a one and one a guy on a team. Like you know what I mean. Like, but but I can see him. I think Marty San Luis is a bit too. It's a, it's you're shooting a bit too high there, but I think mm. I think he could, I think I think he can be 
a guy that's in the top 10 scoring for many, many years of his mm-hmm. career. I, I'm going to disagree with you both. I think you're underselling him because yep. the question is, what's his ceiling? Ceiling means... Mm. Oh, ceiling, yeah. Okay. What's the best he can do? To me, the ceiling is 100 points, scoring title, MVP, Art Ross. Like Hughes is mm-hmm. one of the best prospects come along in several years. First overall pick, tremendously skilled, naturally offensively. So to me, it's like he, he is, his ceiling is pinball numbers and regular 100-point seasons. That's the, If we're talking about what his peak is, 85 to 90 points. I'll make you a bet right now that that's by next year. Ooh. I'm going to say at least 85 points by year two. Okay. If you want to make a bet right now on the air. All right. Yeah. Just if we're talking okay. ceiling, because like, that's best-case scenario, right? Yeah. And I think we all agree he has tremendous potential. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He was uh, terrific on Friday night. For sure. He was the best player on the ice. Mm. And it's a reminder of sample sizes, right? People right. were freaking sure. out over the goalless in seven games, and then all of a sudden he's just this three point a game. Then, yeah. 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 Uh, next question is from Kale Ray. And, and Ray says With the current asking prices of NHL players, what sort of impact will these huge contracts have on the growth of the NHL in the future? It's interesting because to me, I think the question is backwards. I think the reason why players are able to ask for more is that the league is healthy, it's the healthiest it's ever been. And there's going to be the new U.S. TV contract up, which mm. is going to, I think, bring eventually the cap's going to go up more yes. in the years to come. So I'm not, I'm not sure I'm you're, on board you're, with you're, that. You're, I'm you're not skeptical. 100% on board with that, no. But I don't think that like contracts Like, revenues are, have not been going through the roof. Yeah, I, mean, I guess they've leveled off a little bit yeah. in recent... But, yeah. I mean, if you, I'm, I'm saying, like, compared to 10, 15 years ago, yeah. the league's in a better yeah. place. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I don't think that player contracts are are hurting the league because that's yeah well no they're not no they're not hurting the league because they're getting 50 the players are getting 50 percent the league doesn't care yeah the the league the league says the players here you're getting 50 percent distribute it however you like exactly distribute it however you like we don't care but i think the the us tv deal will bump up the cap because the one thing to remember in the media cultural landscape right now is that live sports are still big. It's not the same thing as like streaming where people will binge something, like they won't watch it when it's actually on the air. Live sports, you want to watch when it's happening. So if you have that US TV deal, I think that's still crucial for big networks in the US. So there will be a bidding war for it. I think the NHL will do very well, just from the insiders I've talked to. They're expecting it to have a positive bump on the cap when it comes through. And I think it's because everything else we know about media has been flipped on its head in the past 10 years but live sports seems to have bucked that trend because people want to see it while it's happening they don't want to wait okay and and I'll give you that but I would I would I would pause it that I wonder how much that's going to be offset by the fact that people don't go to the games because the TV experience is so good I don't know if you guys have noticed but the New York Rangers do not sell out they yeah, haven't sold out. They sold crazy. out their first game this year. Montreal has not sold. Like, they've had games where they haven't sold out. Calgary, 2,000 below capacity some mm. nights. You know, Ottawa's a mess. They're, they've had two. Ottawa's had two announced attendances under 10,000 this year. In the Canadian market, yeah. Under 10,000. I mean, it's, it's part of it. Like, it's it's a, the league has a bit of a have and have not structure right now. Where you yeah. have the teams that are just in, in rebuild mode. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in some markets. Because, yeah. because if you're getting robust numbers in Carolina and Arizona, that doesn't matter. Because they're not creating the revenues, right? The, chick, the tickets are so cheap. It'd be great yeah. if Anaheim sold out every game. But if, if you're paying... 40 or 50 bucks for seats right by the rink 
that's not going to raise re- that's not going to that's not that's not going to bump the revenues mm-hmm. it's when these big teams are not drawing that it really has a drag on revenues and i and i feel like you know that in the next cba whenever it comes down in the next 3 years the players still want to do something about escrow okay you want to do something about escrow you're going to have to take less money or we're going to have to artificially lower the cap. Mm. So I'm not as convinced as you guys that the cap is going up and up and up and up. Because yeah. if the players want to address escrow, if the players want to clearly, significantly want to do something about escrow, it means they're going to have to do something to artificially keep the cap lower. And there's nothing that they seem to care about more right now. Exactly. It's their number nothing. one issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They've been hammering so, it. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll do at least one more question. We're going to take one now from Ben Thielman, 41. And Ben says, should the Fl- should Flames fans be worried about the mediocre start or will they figure things out? I have sort of a weird... I'm back and forth on the Flames right now because on one hand, I'm a little worried. Like, their schedule hasn't been the toughest. Like, they've played L.A. twice, I believe. And they, like, they're, they played Detroit. Uh, it's not like they've been just pounded with this devastatingly tough schedule early on uh and you kind of think of you know last year they kind of petered out especially their best star players down the stretch they went totally flat in the playoffs they were too easy to play against they weren't fast enough they weren't tough enough and you worry like does that is that hangover carrying into the season we also worry you know between david riddick and cam talbot you know maybe the sum of the parts is League average goaltending, slightly yeah. better, maybe slightly worse, but it's yeah. not something yeah, you can it's not, it's not, you can yeah. set your watch to and, yeah. and depend upon. Right. So that's all to me on the negative side. I worry about that. Um, but on the other hand, just we were talking earlier about the division they play in. It, it's yeah. the weakest division I think in the NHL if you if you factor in all eight teams. And question. I just can't see Calgary dropping out of the top three yeah. with the talent level they have. So that's where I stand. I say yes, okay. I worry about them in the playoffs, but I don't worry about them missing the playoffs. I would agree. And I think you look at the talent they have at their disposal, the fact that Mark Giordano just won the Norris Trophy. I think if anything happens, it might be a coaching change. If things get really dire, say halfway through the season, and they're they're still underachieving, but the roster construction is such that they should be doing fairly well. You know, when you have Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monahan and Matthew Kachuk up front, you have Giordano on the back end. Like you have enough elite players that you should be making hay in that division now. Maybe they just snap out of it themselves. Maybe they have some kind of game that brings them all together. We haven't seen it yet. But once that happens, and assuming that happens, I think they'll be fine. And, I mean, if you're a Flames fan, hopefully they're better for it because they have that adversity that they go through en route to having some playoff success for once. Yeah, I think, obviously, their, their big guns have to be better. Um, and I, and I, think that, I think the problem is that... Is that you know, a guy like Johnny Gaudreau really like like when things aren't going well, he's the kind of guy that is going to try to do too much, and then it sort of becomes kind of messed up in that in that respect. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at it's interesting because you look at Calgary, and I don't think anybody's super worried about Calgary right now. And then you look at Toronto, and like everybody's losing their minds, right? right? Um, so it's it's interesting to see. I mean, it's I guess it's all about expectation and and roster construction and everything. I mean, I think Calgary's a good team. I don't think they're a great team. I don't think I don't think to me they're not in my group of top contenders for the Stanley Cup. They're mm-hmm. just not. They're just not. They're not in my top five or six. 
I think they could get there. Like, I can yeah. see a scenario in which, I mean, next year when, when Braden Holtby is their starting goalie, <laughs> to go back to that well a third time, then maybe. <laughs> so maybe next year is, is the Flames year. But yeah, I, I, yeah. I see where you're coming from, Ken. Well, that's going to be it for this week's podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, everybody, whether you're listening or you're watching us live. And we will be back next week, and I'll have slightly more facial hair if you're missing it and that way it won't be as jarring and Ken will be less excited uh, and thank you to our sponsor Christian Hockey thanks for watching and listening everybody